The following show will contain spoilers, but trust us, you'll want to hear about it anyway. Please be advised that this episode contains discussions about difficult subject matter. You little turds are going to have to learn you can't run from the ice cream man! Welcome to Subversive Cinema. These films risk-causing harm! They should be burned! I'd like to do any of these two guys at the same time. What? Hell yeah! I don't owe you any books. No more books! Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, Art, to be your purveyor of the peculiar, wrangler of the weird, and Sherpa to the strange. And we are going back to 1980 today to discuss the godfather of found footage cinema. It's 1980's Cannibal Holocaust, directed by Ruggiero Deodato, written by Gianfranco Clerici, and this is a movie that is as steeped in lore as it is in controversy, still to this day, 42 years going on. And to talk about it, returning is my friend from back in the day and fellow cinephile, Jan. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Art. I'm so happy to be here. Wunderbar. So you have heard of this movie and you have seen it, correct? Oh, yes. I've actually watched it a total of two and three quarter times now. Two and three quarter times. For the uninitiated, uh, as we'll get into the controversy of this, there are a couple versions that float around out there. So did you watch the uncut, unadulterated one or did you watch the one where they take out the animal nastiness? I've seen both versions, I've, but uh, the one I've watched the most was the director's cut. All right. That would be the original hour and 35 minute where it's all in there for show. And we'll we'll get into that soon enough. But let's set this up. So Cannibal Holocaust, it's a story about exploitation, cannibals, not being very nice to animals, and quite possibly the least sympathetic film crew ever in the history of film. And it is a movie that's done half, well, not, not half, a great portion of it is done in a traditional film way where we're following this professor of anthropology, Professor Harold Monroe, played by porn star Robert Kerman, who would go on the following year to appear in another cannibal film, Cannibal Ferox. I never know if it's Ferox or Ferro, but I always pronounce it Ferox. I don't know, F-E-R-O-X, but whatever. So it tells the story about this anthropologist who's hired to go into the jungles of South America to look and track down this missing film crew who went there to document some tribes who were reported to be cannibals. They disappear, he goes to find them. What he finds are film canisters and they bring it back and they watch as the horrors reveal themselves of what these people did and went through while down there. And in the end, we learn that who are the real cannibals? Is it the native people or perhaps us from society? Hmm. So there you have it. It's, uh, it's, it's a hell of a movie. It's very, it depends on who you talk to. Some people love it. A lot of people hate it. Uh, it's crazy to me. It's got a rocking uh, 22 on the meta score right now, which I think is just absurd because this movie, I look, it's not for everybody's taste. I get it, but its place in cinema is sort of undoubted. But, uh, you know, enough of me. Jan, what's your experience with this movie other than the two and uh, three quarters time? Oh, man, just just the, the, the straight up trivia bits of this movie 
you could there's there could be a movie about this movie being made in general i mean really like a disaster artist style movie yeah really like that, exactly i think that one of the one of the amazing things uh is that it really does have brilliant moments of cinema in it too genuinely like wow that's a great way of doing this just even the opening shot of New York City, but yet describing the Amazon as these cannibals and featuring the citizens of New York while describing cannibalism is a really interesting opening juxtaposition with the end of the film as it is. Um, and then uh, speaking of the trivia, like, you know, you yeah, you've got a porn star who is doing a very not bad job as an actor in a, in a movie that is quite pornographic. You know, it really does have some like really visceral images of, you know, sex. I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. I've always believed that movies and cinema are there not just to tell stories, but to evoke feelings and put you into a place. And that doesn't always mean you like what you feel. It just means that they accomplished it, you know? So this movie makes you feel a lot of stuff. And usually what it makes you feel is, yeah, <laughs> and they do it in spades. It, it, transport you to an alien world that it's incredibly strange to what we're familiar with and along the way it shows you these quote-unquote civilized people plunging into this world and being demonstrably more uncivilized than anything else so it's actually really really fucking smart and it just gets overlooked a lot but as uh, you were saying there's it is pornographic in its exploitative ways i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of nudity there's a lot of aberrant sex there's too many rapes that you can even count there's weird quote-unquote ritualistic punishments for adultery it really is like a torturous movie to watch like i there's certain movies that are very very hard for me to watch more than once um and like this movie solo is another one of them like that oh, we'll be doing that actually in a couple episodes so <laughs> oh man that movie is so hard but regardless with cannibal holocaust i think that like the the real brilliance is like of it is you're you totally hit on like just the savagery of our it's it's a very postmodernist film in its way right because it's really looking at the savagery of man and that we cannot trust modernity to be you know as civilized as we would like to think it um and so i think that like philosophically it's got a really interesting point um also cinematically it achieves some feats um, for example, uh, the impalement of the woman. On oh, that's still fantastic. That holds up. That really it, holds it up. It really does. I mean, you can't find somebody doing a practical effect like that to this day. To, to, like this is a this individual. What they? I don't. Do you know how they did this? Yeah, from what I understand, she was sitting on a, a length of wood with a bicycle seat. She was sitting there, and then she was holding like balsa wood or something that was carved into a point in her mouth. Stood perfectly still. And just held her breath, and it's just age old, you know. It, it that's so you do you know about the court case in Italy then? Oh yes, how th that's part of the fun stories about it's this like is I that said, the director right? was dragged in on charges of murder that he killed his his actors. He sold people on the idea that what they saw in these film reels was real because there was actual violence in the film. Unfortunately, it was against animals. I'm not, again, I'm not saying that was a great thing to do, but in terms of the time and the idea behind it, it was genius to essentially show people an animal snuff moment 
and then connect it to very well filmed and staged you know human murders that are you know fake but it connects in the audience's mind that i just saw this turtle get taken apart therefore this human that's getting taken apart must have also been real too you know if you gotta if i think about this like cinematically it's a really interesting kuleshov effect in a way because you're showing violence and then you're showing violence on another person. And because you've seen the violence to be real and you, you know that that is a real animal that is being killed, that is suffering, you know. And then whenever you see a person, of course, you would connect that to being mm -hmm. that happened to that person as well. You must have if you're willing to kill these animals, you must have killed these people. Yeah. And it's just like, hey, we're, sh there, you know, dude, it was 1980. I mean, anything fucking went, <laughs> you know, and it was in, it was in South America, a anything could happen. So, and this is also in like the peak of this whole snuff this, everything that, you know, you had the movie snuff itself, which was sitting there trying to create this impression. And, uh, you know, it was just a weird fucking time where everyone's just going out for just trying to do this visceral thing. I mean, right before the year before there was Faces of Death. So... It was a very, I feel like that was, uh, there was like a three or four year period of late 70s, like 78 to 82, 83, where there was a big shift in, not, I don't want to say the sensibilities of cinema, but there was a sudden push for boldness and like, hey, we're going to really try to, you know, shake things up and really, really make people have an experience in the cinema that they don't know if it's real or not. You know, it's like really shake their shit. That is exactly what this made movie like did for me. I was constantly wondering where the line was, where the, it was being blurred. And hats off to the uh, Dato to for pulling that off, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, he really took us on this extremely uncomfortable, extremely graphic, extremely exploitative journey. Uh, and so, and this to me is subversive. It completely subverts what your what your expectations of the film are what you think is going to happen even the ending itself subverts expectations yeah absolutely so lots of stuff here let's talk about the the elements that make up this subversive sauce i mean we a lot of this i'm just going to chalk it up under the what the fuck because it's not what the fuck isn't just it's not just a bad thing it's just what the fuck man and a lot of what we talked about we kind of jumped ahead so we have the three categories, character, story, and, and what the fuck. So we already gave a preview of the latter. We're going to come back to it. But let's talk about characters. So did any characters stand out to you and why? Um, I identify, like, I don't know, uh, maybe, maybe it's the feminist in me. But I really, like, felt horrible for the girlfriend. Um, Faye uh, Daniels? Yeah, Faye Daniels. Thank you. The, she, her character just was the, was the most tragic to me. Yes, she was the only relatable one in that group of four people. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, everybody else, like when, you know, there's there's always like the, the people in, um, and, and again, that's just an amazing statement is like, she was the only one that was relatable. All these other characters were not, you know, but she was, and that's that's an amazing kind of like, look at, you know, the, the history of the, well, the, how do I say this? The current state of uh, how the director saw you know, our, our culture mm -hmm. and um, the, you know, every other character, once they, they kind of died off, I was like, okay, good. That's fine. Don't need, <laughs> don't need them. You, you killed a turtle for no good reason. No. <laughs> 
So you know, to uh, to play the devil's advocate to um, the director's uh, defense, he did say that they did eat the turtle because they needed food. <laughs> I have a feeling that this production didn't have a you know a honey wagon or any sort of craft services table anywhere. I'm sure that if you were hungry, <laughs> you had to either pick up a mealworm or you're gonna eat part turtle. Oh, man, like it's just. That part really, really messed me up for a while. Like, that was... Even the tarantula bothered me. See, for me, the meerkat or whatever that little muskrat thing in the... Yeah, the, oh the, my god! That was yeah. the first... That was the one that to me has always been the most upsetting. And I, you know, again, hey, look, I put a discretion, a cautionary thing in the beginning of this episode. Because that's the one that it takes the longest for them to, to slaughter... And you can hear it, and you can see it suffering, and that—that's bad. At least with the turtle, it was a machete chop, one done. The pig, they shot it right in the head. The monkey chopped the top of the head off. You know, it's like the tarantula. You know, look, I'm not a big arachnid kind of guy. I don't know if they have. I'm sure they have pain receptors of some sort, but I don't know if you know they have souls in the eyes of Cthulhu or not. But the the little muskrat thing in the beginning that was always the hardest one and that one just comes out of fucking nowhere you know yeah. when he brings it up he says we have dinner it's just sitting yeah. there i'm like oh it's already dead and then he goes and starts poking it and i'm like oh god no it's not yeah so, I, mean, I mean it and it really set the the tone too because like from there you know all the killings were you know not were for a reason or, or some other way you know right like, but still like oh man like i i have to beg you differ the turtle the turtle well it's you know what's really uh, creepy about the turtle is all the the automatic nervous reactions in the muscles so yeah. that's the part you that's just what? like that, that you, you may have hit upon something right there yeah. and it's also a giant bowl of soup when they flip it upside down and cut it open that's just uh. so fucking gnarly yeah. The anatomy of a turtle is just... I had no idea, and I I really didn't need to know. I didn't need to know <laughs> I that. didn't need to know. I, exactly. Exactly. But, I, I, you know... Okay, so flipping to something else about, like, this film... We'll, we'll, we'll stick to character, I guess. But, like, the the characters really, like... The, with you having a porn star who was actually relatable and try, he was kind of relatable at least. I mean, like at least he was trying to like you know save the the young man, the young sh the shaman's son, like trying to like be a little protective of him yeah. or not. Um, and so you know that that to me was like at least somewhat redeeming. Like he, they, I hate to use the term, but he did have his save the cat moment, you know. In, in <laughs> yeah. He's he's the character because you actually pulled up the one I was going to mention because there's not a lot of redeemable people in this film. No, Faye Daniels, I did feel bad for her. You know, she always had this feeling from the first time you see her when you actually get into it. You know, in the introduction scenes, it's just you know from the outside point of view, and she seems no better or worse than the rest. But when you get inside their world and you're seeing the film canister footage where you know she just came out from getting a shower you see her as herself and then she is you know this lone person of sanity and with these three knuckleheads yeah but you got her so I, i'm just gonna lean in on my on our boy the porn star you know professor harold monroe he is this this unsung hero who 
it's interesting that, you know, they pluck up this random fucking anthropologist to say, we're going to send you down there and you're going to hang out with this guy named Chaco and he's going to walk you through the jungles. Not, not just them, but NYU. Yes, NYU. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, look, again, this is written by an Italian dude. So I have a feeling he was just going off of what he imagined America worked like that, you know, a university would petition such a thing. I don't know, but I think that NYU is probably a specific choice in some way i don't know how but i feel like <laughs> that guy wanted like i don't know if he went to nyu if he taught at nyu if like he like that if anybody on the crew was nyu or one of the actors were but like what an interesting choice uh, then again it might be the only university he knows <laughs> in, in america in, in like you know it's like well we know harvard and we know nyu <laughs> no that's gonna be true but yeah i i gotta give it up for him i mean look uh, Again, as we said, he turned out a pretty decent performance given that he comes from, you know, the porn genre. But I think he he did very well for what it was. And also, I think that it helps that, you know, there was a lot of people in this movie. I think there was only, he was him and maybe one other, one or I think two other people were American. Mm-hmm. And everybody else is Italian or South American. And I think that, uh, coming from the adult film industry, there was a sense of fearlessness that was necessary for a movie like this. I would be hard-pressed to imagine too many, at least American actors now, animal cruelty aside, who could go and do a film in this style, you know, and just let it all be what it is, you know? it's it's a, There's a certain sense of just letting it go and being themselves with this. I don't know, everybody in this is... Turned out some fearless shit, I'd say. You know, really, truly, I mean, you, the, the commitment to this, to their, to the roles, you know, even, even whenever the acting is well below par, sure. like you, there's a commitment there that, like, is, is really quite forgiving. At yeah. Times. And like you, you're, you're, you're still like, all right, fine, I'll go with you on this journey. You know, like, even though you don't know how to say lines, I feel like you are trying to embody this character. It's, it's interesting because I feel like out of everything, the, the stuff that would be the hardest to film, which is everything out in the jungles and all that stuff, would, and, you know, you'd imagine would be the, the easiest to suffer from poor acting, production, whatever. But I would actually venture to say it's the stuff that's back in civilization that has the worst acting really? in it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, look at the professor's like he takes the assignment, he puts his pipe in his mouth, and he walks off. Like, like the the directing is is kind of comical there. It's it's, it's oh yeah, kind of funny there. I mean, I just love the way that this this is how this the group of the NYU people who are overseeing things. This is this is the the discussion they're having about the footage that's been found. And you would be the ideal host for the program. That's right. Professor Monroe, as an eyewitness as well as a scientist, you would be the most... Yes, but before I make any decision on this, I'd like to review all the film material, as yet we've seen none of it. Professor Monroe, I can assure you that they knew exactly what they wanted. That may be, but meanwhile they're all dead, aren't they? Acting! So acting. So acting. It was, uh, it was just so much better when they're actually in the moment there. And you know what? I guess what it, it's the... I suppose when they're filming out in the jungles, there is that 
you're in it. I mean, there's there's very little acting in, required. You're you're in that world. You are in this skin. You know, when you're playing a suit back in the comforts of the city, then you really are playing. You know. Right. Yeah, and you, you gotta really hand it to the director for like having the 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 boldness to like we're going. This is we're actually gonna go. Like we're actually going. I I know that like you know people might want to shoot this on a studio, but we're we're going. <laughs> we're like, not doing this in Florida. We're yeah, going. Yeah, exactly. This is not the Everglades. Please <laughs> check your body for leeches. <laughs> Oh, I wonder how many actual leeches there were on this thing. Probably enough. So many. So we had that sort of thing. Now, we, we, we already talked a little bit about the story. But so as a story, how did that work for you? I mean, it made sense. Yeah. And I mean, did the, the narrative structure of it work? I mean, what, what's your take on the story? Because it is, you know, half in real time. Then it's like backwards and back to the, you know, you know what, what's your thought on it? Well, I think that we are a more, I, I can see why this didn't really work in the 1980s. They, they weren't used to an editing style that he was using. Yeah. You know, the editing style is something almost Christopher Nolan-like at times, you know, mm -hmm. like he, he really does play with time and experience um, in story. I would say that uh, I got the story. The story was clear. You understood what was happening. Like by the end of it, you're like, okay, I see how this is like going and playing out. The, you know, I think that they try to do well with featuring the film canisters to like explain that like once they got them back as you're watching them and you're, you're seeing this found footage, but it, it is a little jumpy. Uh, it does like move around in ways and you're like, wait a minute, hold on. Wait, are we, are we back to watching something? We, we, I feel like we're back to, we're back to watch something. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, it wasn't as, it wasn't like a super, it, it was by no means super clean of a story, but by the end of it, you're, you know, at least the director does save you most of the confusion by the end of it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. I would agree. I would agree. It, it's, you know, it works. It was new for what it was at the time. And again, it, it being the laying the foundation for the idea of found footage of that we find, you know, really video or film and it's real and uh, there. And it was interesting because it had been a few years since I watched this. So seeing it again and realizing it's like, well, that I guess audiences back then, you know, the only way you saw a movie is you go to the movies. That was it. You know, you didn't get to just pop on a film whenever you wanted to, unless it was broadcast on television and you went to the theaters. So access wasn't that often. So, you know, we take that for granted that we can see as many movies as we want at any point in time. So to watch it, it felt disconnected in that, how could anybody have thought that what was in it was real? Because there's enough movie around it that there's no way it was real. Yeah. But again, back then, you're only seeing one movie a month, maybe, maybe. And whenever you see a movie, that's could be the last time you ever see it. You never know if you're ever going to see it again, because nobody had the idea of VHS on the horizon until like two or three years later. Yeah. So... Well, you, and you, you actually bring up a really interesting kind of like, uh, uh, I guess, philosophical thought of is found footage really a, a feature of analog filmmaking more than digital? It feels like it had more weight or more gravity in those Absolutely. times than... I would totally agree with that. 
I would really agree with that. Cause I mean, you think about like now, if I, if you were finding, if you found a USB and on it was a video file uh, of found footage, like there is in that idea, a question of, is this been modified? Has this been manipulated? Mm -hmm. But with film or VHS or, you know, uh, the more analog components of cinema or film uh, uh, photography, et cetera, that that's much harder to do. And it allows, you know, uh, for, for a more realistic, um, or I guess for more realism in, in found footage. Yeah. Blair Witch. Mm -hmm. right? Like we, I don't know that we'd have a Blair Witch without this film. Yeah, absolutely. And then they're, becomes that big spiral of then <laughs> because of Blair Witch now we have paranormal activity one through 87 so you know is what it is <laughs> right so we dig it we dig the story we dig that let's get back to the fun stuff about what the fuck was going on with this movie one thing I I thought was wonderful and the Italians have always done this sort of delightful juxtaposition whether it's with any narrative intention or if it's just a, a weird flight of whimsy on their behalf but i love this underscoring that happens when the asshole film crew is setting a village on fire and they're trying to kill people and you have this musical cue Okay, so it sounds like the soundtrack to the acid trip and easy rider. <laughs> it's very it's just very kind of like floating and just keeping you keeping it's you chill. Very psychedelic, right? Yeah, and I mean it's that's I believe the, the music cue from the very, very beginning of the movie too. Let's see. Yeah. It is. So it's that was I I was wow. Cause the first music cue makes sense you know this weird stuff because oh my god they're setting a fucking hut on fire and they're pushing all the women and kids inside and then as soon as they start escaping we get this weird happy-go-lucky sort of haunting melody as they say it's beautiful keep them inside the only thing missing from that scene was benny hill's yakety sax so yeah. i was actually thinking that that like oh man the, the music was so weird throughout the entire film too like it it's it's really peculiar and some really interesting moments and it's yeah it really does have like a, a little bit of psychedelia at times too yeah absolutely oh man what other things uh stood out to you and made you go hmm well i mean going back to the trivia the court case in italy ah uh, yes um okay so you're, if if uh, you've seen this movie before and you haven't really done the research on this, there's a scene where you the camera comes out and it shows this woman that we were talking about earlier impaled on, on like a spike. Um, in reality, she's not. She's doing an amazing job of uh, staying very still and, and doing this great job. But a court in Italy, 
decided that, uh, well, they didn't decide, they really believed that uh, the director hadn't actually impaled her. They could not, it's so good. He did such a good job here that they could not believe that she wasn't dead. And so they brought him in for a murder trial. And from there, he had to defend himself in court. And he did so by bringing in the actress and showing how he did the stunt to the court. And, you know, what a great magic trick. What a great way of revealing a magic trick. Like that to me, like just really showed the power of an actor and of a good angle. Oh, yes. Yeah. It it was really quite, quite phenomenal to me that 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 to me is the thing that I guess stands out uh, in in such a distinct way. And then, oh, man, like um, just the 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 just the distribution of this movie is probably crazy in general. But what else what stood out to you on this? Man, it's uh, the <laughs> just the audacity of of the film crew and how quickly shit went sideways in terms of if you're going by their their film reels, you know, by <laughs> things you should have knew were going to go bad when their guide, um, I forgot his name. Uh, but the the guy who was walking them through the the jungle got bit in the foot by a snake. So they try to core out the bite with a knife to get the the venom out. And then they decide that, well, that's clearly not going to work. So what's the next best thing we could do? Oh, let's just take off the fucking leg. So they put on a tourniquet and they cut off his leg. They cauterize it or try to with a hot machete. And then the next frame, the fucker's dead. And by the way, they look like they're having a fucking ball when they're cutting this guy's leg off. Right, yeah. Like, that was one of the things to me. It's like the the Americans are always portrayed as, like, the worst fucking people. Yes. Like, they are just the worst. They are worse than anything. And they're really, you know, the ones that are almost more cannibalistic in, in so many degrees. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. It's really quite striking. It's a really interesting commentary on American. I, I, I gotta say, like, I feel like the Dato was a much more crude Antonioni. <laughs> Just had to have some dead animals and you know castration well, in there to get the point yeah, across, right? I mean, if you think about it, Antonioni, um, especially if you watch um, Zabriskie Point or Blow Up, but Zabriskie Point to me was mm-hmm. more poignant. Like that film is really about the corruption of America's core. Like he was really interested in the corruption of, of a, the core of things. And this to me is, you know, is kind of in that vein of like showing the, the corruption that, you know, we civiliz- civilized people have, you know, towards our outside world or what they perceive as outside world. Yeah. And when yeah. you have corruption, all you can do is cut it off and carterize it like this. <laughs> So he goes through all that 
only to have this be his legacy. Felipe was a great buddy and a top-notch guy. We'll miss him. But even more, we'll miss the security he gave us. We've decided to go on, but now we've only got the compass and our instincts to show the way. You know, you probably shouldn't have cut his fucking leg off. How about that? So. Oh, man. Man, like, this, the, I, it makes me terrified sometimes of going on an independent film shoot this movie. <laughs> like, so, seriously, you watch movies like this as an actor, uh, whenever I was doing that, and you would hear their ideas and you're like, am I going to die? <laughs> Is this film going to kill me? It, it, like it could happen and it doesn't even need, i mean hell like you know it doesn't even need to be something in the jungles i mean there's there's plenty of movies where people have done dumb things independently and they have wound up injured or worse yes and this would be just like is ter- like it sounds like okay so we're gonna go to the broom or is they gonna go to the amazon and i'm like hold up right there hold on <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean let's wait hold on define right. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's this movie. So there's so many what the fucks, like so many what the fucks in this movie. Oh, so, so many. It's interesting. You know, there's variety of stories that circulate, too, between the uh, as we already talked about the character Faye Daniels, played by Francesca uh, Chiardi or Chiardi. I'm not exactly sure. Apologize. And her boyfriend on on film, Alan Yates, played by Carl Gabriel York. There is lore saying that if, for their relationship to really pop, she wanted to go off into the jungles and actually bang it out with him. And he's like, no, thank you. I have a girlfriend. And then uh, that apparently didn't sit well with her. But then there's other stories that she'll go around and say, oh, no, we actually had um, a fling the entire time. And we actually did it for real on camera. So... You know, there's all sorts of weird stories like that that go around. And I'm not even talk about how many people were involved in this that were locals. And I mean, just the, the characterization and the 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 casting that they were able to accomplish with these local tribes people. That you know, by his accounts, uh, the director's accounts, they all knew what was up. They knew that they're making this movie and that they had fun doing it. But he's sort of been, you know, taken to the coals a bit about it because nobody was credited. And maybe that was part of the lore of the film. I understand that after they were done, the the actors, the main actors had to sign agreements not to appear in another film for like a year or something to help sell the fact that they were dead. So maybe part of that is to make this feel more real is to not credit them because to do so would clearly show the illusion. I don't know. But there's a lot of authenticity there, uh, or seemingly authenticity, seemingly authentic displays. I don't want to sit there and sound like one of these people who's like, oh, yes, everybody who lives in the Amazon is <laughs> some sort of, you know, savage person who just can't speak and the only communication they have is shouts and grunts. I mean, that's the way they paint it in this world. But man, they, they really had some very, very interesting people there. You know? Really, truly, like whenever you're watching like the performers that are playing like the cannibals, even early in the in the early part of the film, like you can tell that like you know it's all it's kind of comical. It's and there's some really beautiful cinema there too. Like whenever the 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 
one of the tribes people in the beginning comes close through the leaves almost right to camera like yeah. it's really the, the focus is a little soft but it's a really kind of wonderful shot of like this face coming through the green yeah. and you know just for the thing i guess that's also what the fuck to me is that it has really, really good shoulder, like handheld shots. Yeah, actually, I mean, because imagine there's no steady cam involved in this shit. They're no. holding this stuff. <laughs> so, like this, like you know, you you have to be if you're the director, also really proud of the cinematography. And what the fuck, though? Like it's really just an, a, a quite a striking example of the power of of cinema to to just surprise you when you don't expect it there's like it's just a it's a crazy film such a crazy film i couldn't say it better myself so let's answer the big important question jan how subversive is this film how saucy is it mm -hmm. i don't know how much more subversive you can really get with a film this is this is up there in one of my tops like to for subversive i mean it's it's really quite unexpected even the story alone without the trivia the story alone is is absolutely you know subverts your expectations subverts how you see the the process subverts how you see the characters in the beginning compared to the end um you know who you become sympathetic with versus who you don't yeah so and then you add in the actual production of it and it's just magnified like a hundredfold I absolutely agree. I feel like, yeah, straight 10 for me. This is this is an example of, you know, grab the audience and lead them one day, yank them another way, like yank them another way. And you just never know where you're going to end up. And by the end of it, you were fucking grabbed, shook and took. And it stays with you. It stayed with me all these years since I first saw it. And it'll stay with me for all the other times I see it. So... You know, I, I, you gotta, I'm going to nerd out here for one second on, on Italian writers in general, because uh, there's a playwright, uh, he did a couple of films, but he's mainly a playwright named Luigi Pirandello. And mm -hmm. Pirandello really liked to play with the audience's expectations and the audience's, uh, and character. He was really interested in character. And this film subverts you in, in a very specific Italian way with its character and its plot. And I feel like it's a hallmark of what something like something what Luigi Pirandello, who if you have if you ever get a chance, read the read six characters in search of an author. It's an amazing play. Mm -hmm. um, but you really are subverted by the the characters, uh, the, the characters, you know, expectations and where they even again, like I said, where they where they wind up. It's really just, it's. I don't know if it, like I don't know if this film could ever be called a masterpiece, but you gotta respect it for what it does. <laughs> Amen to that, man. You have anything you would like to share with everybody before we cut you loose for the day? Anything you got coming up or anything that uh, people could look you up for? Um, yeah, actually, a, a friend of mine, uh, Zane Johnson, he's got a production company that is called Film Menagerie. Uh, my, my wife and I, the very talented Megan Rippey, it are both uh, in his film called uh, the City of, uh, City of Angels. Hold on. Queen of the Angels. My wife has it. Coming in with the clutch. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. 
but Zane is um, uh, Zane is uh, directed this film, uh, you know, produced, shot it like, and it's a really wonderfully magical, crazy, interesting, and subversive film, in my opinion. Um, I, uh, I, th I think that if you're out there and you look up Film Menagerie on Instagram, you'll probably be able to see a trailer for it. I know that that's at least how I saw it. Um, and uh, other than that, I'm just, uh, I'm, uh, I'm just making, trying to make more movies over at CSUN while I'm in university there. So uh, hopefully I'll have something more to talk about. Rock and roll. Sounds good. I'll put the trailer or the film that you mentioned in the show notes, make it a little easier for people to find it. Awesome. Jan, as always, it's a pleasure to talk with you, buddy. Thanks for coming out and chatting about this deliciously juicy and saucy piece of human meat. It's, <laughs> that is cannibal. That Holocaust. is a great way of describing it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that oh, was yeah. my pleasure. All right. I'll, uh, it's always fun. Rock and roll, buddy. All right. Until next time, everybody. Uh, if you have a movie that you think would be awesome for the show, please email me at subversivecinemashow at gmail.com. Let me know. And hell, you could even come on and talk about it with me. And otherwise, be sure to tune in next time. Till then, stay subversive. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you leave us a review and a five-star rating at your preferred podcast provider. Tell a friend so they can check it out, too. And follow us on Instagram at subversive underscore cinema for more content. Subversive cinema.